Welcome to today for today's live stream because we have Jake Hall, the manufacturing millennial, a prolific content creator, member of the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program, and all around manufacturing advocate. Um, so today we're going to be touching on uh, some how to build thought leadership, how to get more um, people in the manufacturing space involved with creating content um, like he's done so successfully. Uh, we're going to touch on a little bit of the employee of the future, how to recruit, how to retain the employee of the future, uh, ties right in with content creation and, and, um, and in the next topic, which is digital transformation. Um, and then last but not least, how uh, robotics, how, to, how does robotics create jobs and, and not kill jobs, right? So all of these topics today, I'm very excited to talk about. But Jake, why don't you uh, uh, share with us a little bit about yourself and we'll dive in, we'll dive right in. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Zach. I was just thinking, I got to make like a 60 second intro video for you. So <laughs> as people are queuing up, you know, you have some highlights, like a 60 second intro reel. That'd be, oh, really that'd be cool. sick. Yeah. You know, um, thanks for having me on. So, you know, about me, um, my, my day job, I'm a business development manager for an electrical service and industrial tech company. That's what I do every day. And I think a lot of people don't realize that I actually have a day job beyond my passion for the manufacturing millennial. Um, but we we support like a lot. Well, you guys do it awesome with, you know, Solutions 4.0, uh, 4.0 Solutions, where you guys help out manufacturers with digital transformations, which is awesome. So we have that commonality. Um, but my, my personal brand, the manufacturing millennial, is something that I started about a year and a half ago when the pandemic kicked off. Um, and I was working in industrial distribution at the time and in Michigan, when everyone had the work from home policy happen, um, I said, I need to find a way to connect with my customers beyond just the typical emails and phone calls that are just going to die eventually. So I said, I have like 250 connections on LinkedIn and this would have been, um, like March of 2020. So really, I didn't have a following at all on LinkedIn at the time. And I said, I'm just going to start creating content, create posts, add my own spin to it. Not necessarily. My, my biggest issue I have with salespeople is they just try and sell a product and they don't talk about the problem that they're trying to, you know, and understand what the problem is we're trying to uh, solve for the customer. Um, but yeah, I just built a built a brand up after that. And now I just love talking about manufacturing. I want to, you know, share all the cool technology that is in manufacturing and automation and um, also workforce development. How do we get more millennials and Gen Zs um, excited about this industry? And how do we take people who are, um, you know, in a different industry right now that's not successful and how do we reskill them to enter into this space? So it's not just millennials and Gen Zs. It could be a person who's 45 years old that used to work at a coal mine and now is going to e-cami down in Kentucky and then learning how to program CNC or learning how to program robots. How do we educate people to understand all the opportunity that's in manufacturing? Awesome. And you're being pretty humble because uh, if you guys click on J uh, Jake's profile, which is linked down below, um, he has over 31,000 followers now. So to go from under 1,000 to over 30,000 in, in just uh, just over two years, just a, not even two years yet, right? Yeah, not two. It's yeah, it'll be two and, years and a few months. So yeah. So last year you had about six million content views. Uh, about twelve. Twelve. Oh, so it was yeah. yeah so you okay? So last year was twelve, and then the first year you had about six, right, or something like that. Well, so so year one I went from like five hundred to a thousand to like ten thousand followers was my growth that way. So I doubled that. I doubled in twenty twenty, and then I doubled again in twenty twenty one. 
2020, I had like three to five million views. This year, including shares and all the other content, um, was right around between 10, 10 and 12 million. Holy smokes. So that is it's, it's it's growing. Impressive. And then, uh, yeah, this year really my awesome. goal's a hundred thousand followers and thirty million views. Holy smokes. We're 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 talking with a legend right now. So, so um I want to talk a little about your content creation process. I think some people, you know, have friction of when getting getting started, they don't know how to get started. I like the approach that you've done. Um, definitely have a lot of respect for you in the sense that you do not just repurposed content or reshared content with your own branding, which is which is a nice touch. Some people just straight up rip off and share other people's videos, which I, yeah. I, I don't agree with. But you have a nice mix of not only repurposed content with your own branding, uh, which is sort of like the how it's made type of manufacturing videos, very aesthetically pleasing, very shareable and watchable. I, I, I see them come across my feed. And it adds value to the LinkedIn feed. So I like that. But you also have a mix of original content. Yep. You do some video journalism at events. You do, um, you know, hey, I'm, I just got this new robotic six axis arm and yep. I'm playing around with it. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, as, as much as you're willing to share your content. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I'll share this because I think everyone in the chat has an opportunity to do the same thing. Um, so for so for part of the content that I did originally is taking existing videos and content and breaking them down into more of a digestible and exciting view. Uh, a lot of companies go out there, they spend thousands of dollars to edit this video. And then the first 15 seconds of that video is the company's logo. You know, like there's nothing engaging about that. So what you need to do is understand LinkedIn and a lot like social media is a very quick attention grabbing platform. And if you can't grab that person's attention, either with an interesting fact or something that they learned as a text post or their video is exciting and engaging right away, you're going to lose them as a viewership instantly. Um, and so like the, the interesting thing like about the way I take is I really try and grow my brand as authentically as possible and my viewership and my, you know, comments. So like, I'm not, you know, going out there and saying, Hey, check out this post like this, do this. I just want people to authentically engage in my content. So I know what works and what doesn't work. Um, and by repurposing content and breaking it down really with my rule of thumb is if I'm doing a manufacturing or highlight video or something, it's gotta be under 60 seconds long. And the, the reason why I do that is because if it's longer than that, and if let's say you share a five minute video and within that five minutes of time, someone becomes disengaged and not excited, they're not going to then like or comment on that post and then keep scrolling. They're just going to stop and scroll. So you have to create your content short enough to where they like it, they enjoyed it, and then they want to reciprocate with a like, a follow, a share, or a comment. So I think that's that's super important. And then as well, some of the other content, like what you're sharing here is this, this is the a, original a, content. Yeah. 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 This is original content. So this is something that I share um, where I love talking about stuff. I love talking about different technologies. Um, I busted my um, my headphone holder so that I went out and I 3D printed one with my printer. And here it is right here. So I 3D printed. I said, you know, I'm just going to make a fun video about additive manufacturing. So went out there, talked about the benefits of that in manufacturing. I, I love highlighting what other people are doing in the industry. Like that's something yeah. I love advocating for is not what I'm doing. What is everyone else doing? So John Hobgood, who's the VP of advanced manufacturing and automation for Honeywell Aerospace. He's an awesome friend of mine. Um, you know, I shared their multi-million dollar lab. And then, that is a huge printer. Yeah. And that's is, what, is that what you're talking what about there? 
Uh, that's that's for a different uh, thing. So actually, that's one of the links in there, 3D printed bow. And if you clicked on that link, then I actually go back to the full manufacturing video highlight uh, where I talk more about that in general. But yeah. So I, these I just, are other videos that you've posted on LinkedIn? Yes, around 3D printing. So like if you clicked on 3D printed rockets, you know, for example. So you click on that one and that's a company by Relativity Space that's using KUKA um, additive manufacturing to 3D nice. print rocket components that eventually they hope to launch in space. So it reminds me a little bit of Norsk Titanium. I think they have yeah. a similar titanium 3D printing process that like yeah. Boeing uses. So, all right, so let's let's break this down a little bit. So one thing that I noticed is that you're, and it's obviously, it's clearly not affecting the engagement because you can see it got five shares, 34 comments and 112 likes. It's going against what I used to know as a best practice or, uh, you know, sharing links within the LinkedIn post. Because, you know, uh, one of the things that you first learn is uh, when you're starting out creating LinkedIn content is if you share, if you just share a link on LinkedIn, especially if it's external link, it does not get as much reach or engagement. Yeah. Um, I, I think there used to be a way where if you shared the post and then you went in and edited the copy after the fact that it's a bypass that, but. Um, are you finding that sharing links within your post is not is not affecting the the reach of it? Or um, um... It, I think it might a little bit. I mean, you can see like I hit my follow my pages because like one of the things I'm doing this year is I'm trying to be brand agnostic. So you know I'm now on Twitter, I'm now on Instagram, I'm now on YouTube, I'm now on TikTok. Um, you know, so I'm I'm on all these other platforms now as part of growing my audience. Um, but the one thing I, I'll say this: um, if you were to share a YouTube video on LinkedIn, you are not going to get near the reach as if you pointed, as if you uploaded that video natively exactly. to the LinkedIn platform. Yeah. The same thing with an article. And that's what I always say, you know, don't necessarily just share an article with a post, create it as a text post, add your information, add your contacts, add your own thought leadership, and then reference that post in a link. Or, or in the comments is another option. Comments. Yeah. Yeah. You know, awesome. the, the other the other thing as well is share if, if you really like someone's content, um, sharing their post helps them and it's great. But another awesome opportunity as well is take that post, create your own native post and then reference their post and content within your, you know, in, in, in your, your post information because a reshare is not as powerful natively for you. As it is, um, and I just saw a comment, uh, David, uh, go Cubs. I just saw that. Too bad he's a Cubs fan. <laughs> well, hey, 2016, <laughs> bud, what do you know? Um, <laughs> and, you know, that that's the thing for me where I would say um, creating your own authentic, natively uploaded content is always going to get you better reach. Okay. And um, did you start just by doing the, uh, like, just by doing... Um these repurposed videos that are rebranded or, or like, how did you overcome that? Like, you know, I don't know, I guess some people have a fear of creating content or I don't know what to say, or, um, yeah. was, was this like an easier transition to just, you know, Hey, I'm going to take some popular videos online and repurpose them for LinkedIn and then start getting some engagement that way before I start going live on, you know, uh, live on YouTube or, you know, yeah. creating my own vlogs. Um, I cause mean, I know that's my like a friction point, you know? My, my biggest thing where last year I, I, I challenged myself to post every day on LinkedIn. 
So I last year I did like 400 and some posts last year because uh, some days I, I made more than one post. I, I encourage people not to do three or four posts a day because then you just become spam and your 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 analytics are all messed up over LinkedIn. If you want to start up posting on LinkedIn, just do once a day and make it make it um, valuable that way. But how I got started was I'm going to make one piece of content every single day and post. And um, o- over time, I would say I became more comfortable with, with creating content and post and thought leadership. How I got most of my content was I loved interacting and engaging with other creators on LinkedIn or other people who are creating content. And then, you know, I thought, oh, that would be a great topic. So I have an Excel sheet that has over 300 topic and post ideas, everything from images to videos, to surveys, to posts, to, you know, thought leadership topics and conversations around, Um, you know, I just don't have time to invest in doing that because I focus on my day job. And then the LinkedIn is kind of my night passion from nine to 1am every day is really when I focus on LinkedIn. Um, But yeah, I, I would say, you know, people getting over your fear, don't worry about needing to create this viral post. Don't worry about Oh man, my post only got 250 views. Who cares? What you're doing is you're establishing a a precedence for yourself to get more comfortable sharing content and sharing, excuse me, your ideas on LinkedIn. And I think that's what's super important. Um, You don't need to go out there and be like, oh man, if I'm not getting 20,000 views, my content must not be great. 99.9% of people on LinkedIn aren't getting 20,000 views in the post. Yeah. You know, and 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 just because your content doesn't have that same reach doesn't mean what you're adding to the industry and what you're advocating for manufacturing and adoption of industry 4.0 solutions and digital transformation isn't important because it is regardless of who you're impacting or how big your reach is it's a community effort to move this forward right and well and not all views are created equal right i imagine the views of your original content is more um is a, a higher value view than just like a, a viral manufacturing videos. Although both are important, you could say that if someone watches your, you know, full thoughts on a subject, that that's a more, yeah, uh, and especially if they're longer too, right? So, I, I think I think it varies, right? Because like I'll I'll create a post on additive manufacturing, and I'll get six hundred people from Ford Motor Company that viewed my post, which is awesome. You know, so so I is that one of your video. potential clients as a yeah, you do yeah. your day job? A- absolutely. Or it's just creating more conversation and reach on right. how do we create more automotive companies to adapt, you know, industry 4.0 solutions, or how do we have how do we educate tier one automotive to have better communication with its suppliers, right? How do we create a better digital transformation within supply chains? You know, so there's more accessibility to data, you know, which kind of keys into our post on, you know, that I made earlier that we were going to talk about, um, which was how do automotive companies adapt, you know, digital transformation solutions? I don't know if you want to pull up that post or not, but I think, you know, that's just a great yeah. idea of, you know, sharing ideas. It also, um, yeah. So I want to, I want to um, share this one real quick, just on content types, just so you can kind of see um, you did a poll that shared, you know, what is your favorite content types on LinkedIn? Yeah. Um, I voted videos. That's my favorite. Yeah. But um, and it was supposed to be videos, images, text, articles. But I was like half asleep when I made this post. Oh. So, <laughs> images, pictures, <laughs> images, and pictures. Of it was supposed to be videos, images, text, articles. Got but, it. But um, I'm not, yeah. honestly surprised how how um, 
much articles are up there. And, yeah, and I think that reevaluates for me is I haven't made any articles yet ever on LinkedIn. So I think maybe writing, making articles and, um, and news posts are a, are an important thing that I need to reevaluate. Yeah. I, I, I know you, you are sort of video heavy, uh, mm -hmm. which is what, one of the things I like about your content, but, um, I, I noticed you also do a good mix of, um, text and images post. Um, so, all right, so let's move on to the next one, which is, um, which post was were you referring to about the um the the, the Ford tier? um the Ford oh, the, right. the uh, yeah. the Bronco from uh, from Chris's yeah. post? This is a really cool post here. Yeah, this is the one, and we talked about this when you did the. Uh, I brought this up when you did the uh, LinkedIn audio event, which was really cool. But um, so for the audience, why don't you explain what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, so Chris, one of my friends who's at QC Conveyor down in Ohio, he bought, looks like to be a Bronco. So what's happening is, is they have a camera that is taking a picture of their car when it rolls off the assembly line. And uh, he gets sent an email of his of his specific car. And I just think that's so cool, right? You know, you have the ability to have information uh, coming from a large automotive company on what your progress is. Yeah, this is really the uh, the integration of mark digital marketing and the digital transformation of your yeah. plant floor. Because let's look at the reach that let's look at the reach that that post had for Ford Motor Company, right? Yeah, this is like free marketing for them. Yeah, seven hundred uh, others. I bet you that post has. I, I could reach out to Chris. I bet you that post has forty thousand views on LinkedIn. Yeah, at least. Wow. I made a I made a comment. It's like tracking your pizza from Domino's going through the yeah. production process. <laughs> he did he did say that it was that they do need to fix some of the integrations because he said it uh it went from built to in production to ship back to in production a couple of times. So um, you know, here's a key example of integration, right? Um, but you know, communication between the different departments within an organization, breaking down data silos, yeah, having the sales team and the marketing team and the you know, all of the business, you know, even the CEO, CEO, CFO, right? Like they can do cash flow predictions and projections without, without an accurate timeline of their manufacturing process. They don't necessarily know, you know, anything, right? The, the, yeah. At that point, you're emailing spreadsheets and making calls across the organization. Uh, we talk all the time about the Amazon famous email when Jeff Bezos said, you know, no more communication between departments via spread, via spreadsheets, no more emails you will build and expose your information to other departments via web services, end of period, end of story. And they turned over 11% of their workforce because it was a very hard thing for people to do. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that manufacturers, specifically in the automotive space, need to do is- Absolutely. They need to say, you know, this is the way we're going, come up with a digital strategy and, um, you know, be like, this is, the, in order for us to remain in business, this is what we have to do. I think Ford is- one of the better positioned automotive manufacturers to, to survive this transformation. Um, and I think this is an example, you know, this is yeah. a, a microcosm of, the, of that, right? They're starting to see the potential of this kind of digital transformation. Yeah. And I think, you know, not to go into the whole thing. I mean, we could talk about Tesla and stuff all day. Um, <laughs> my buddy and I, when he graduated from college, he decided to buy a Model S and I said, you buy the Model S, I'll invest the money of a Model S into Tesla and see what happens. So it happened well for me. Um, nice. But, uh, you know, for, for us, I think it's exciting to see how 
the the big three automotive companies are adapting to electric vehicles and digital transformation other than other companies because i think for a long time i think it's it's either toyota or some other company who never really liked the idea of electric vehicles because they were like either built on hydrogen or something like that where i think the big three with at least with ford coming out with the f-150 lightning i mean they just doubled their um i think it to four hundred thousand or something like that 200 six, 600,000 600, and they, then they cut off it again i mean that's awesome i think the ford 150 is is a fantastic looking truck i mean i don't know i would have a hard time deciding between the cyber truck or the f-150 when i buy a tesla one day um or if some other car company you know is is ready for it um but yeah it's it's exciting to see the adaption I, i've been down to rivian dozens of times through uh my, my day job on stuff and um it's it's really exciting to see how these companies are adapting new digital transformation solutions with the idea of old manufacturing brownfield sites and then also building out new greenfield facilities as well because the facility down in um in normal illinois that rivian purchased used to be an old mitsubishi motors plant um and they bought that they bought that like 1.5 million square foot facility for 16 million dollars which Unreal. which which uh rivian you said yeah rivian Okay. So their their main production facility right now that when you're seeing all of the people, all the Rivian employees posting, hey, I just got my vehicle, all that, that's down in normal Illinois where they're doing production right now. They're eventually wanting to build another facility in, in Atlanta. Uh, in Atlanta or Texas or something. I forgot where, where it's going to be, but that's going to be a full greenfield site, right? That's going to be built up with Industry 4.0 in mind right. uh, versus Mitsubishi where they're having to do a bunch of adaption right there. Okay. Um, I want to take a step back and go back to the content marketing. How long before you noticed, um, I guess, a, an impact on your day job from what the work you were putting in on LinkedIn in the evenings and, you know, on breaks and stuff? So, the, sorry, the question was, when did I notice my impact? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, when did it, when did, I mean, I, I'm assuming that, yeah, at this point, it's, helped you and you know um you're in business development right yep yep so how you know when did you start noticing a measurable impact in your performance um in your day job from your linkedin creation yeah effort? absolutely i mean so there's been some fantastic opportunities that we've won sales on at fz as a result of my presence on linkedin um, especially, you know, just with the vendors and the impact that way, whether it's PLCs or robotics or software companies, um, you know, when you, you, you wrap up into a meeting and you join a meeting and they say, holy cow, you're that, you're that guy on LinkedIn. What are you doing here? It's like, well, I happen to work here as well. And like, you know, that just firms the relationship a lot more. So there's fantastic relationships with all the vendors and suppliers that we work with. Um, but then there's some awesome opportunity with closing sales and, um, working with some really cool automation companies that are out there that are that were helping with their um, their digital transformation and upgrading and if it's anything from throwing in a new ignition system to their ITOT structure to anything like that you know it's it's really exciting um, but I mean on the on the personal LinkedIn side manufacturing side it, when I really noticed something I think is when I my follower reach really started to grow on LinkedIn just organically where, you know, in a week I'd have 600 new followers, you know, on my channel when I didn't, when I sent out zero invites, mm. you know, so you know, all that stuff is going authentically, right? 
where I have, I have about 10,000 connections on LinkedIn, but I have 30,000 followers. So yeah, that's a good ratio. A, a lot of that is shown by organic, just reach of, of, of getting people excited about it, where, you know, you're not having to say, Hey, connect with me. People are just following you because they love what you're doing. Yeah. I, I think I have about like 10 K connections and about 20 K followers, but yeah, I had sort of hit this plateau. Part of, part of that is some of you guys may remember this. I took a, I took a, a detour in my journey to venture into real estate and that ended up not being really the career path that I wanted to take ultimately. And so, um, yeah, about a year, year ago, I went full-time with 4.0 solutions, helped grow our, continue to grow our online presence, but also launch our online training programs. Um, you know, which we talk about all the time. Um, all right. So back onto the, uh, you know, getting a return on your investment for your LinkedIn work. I know that that's not the only reason you do it, right? I, I wouldn't recommend anyone just do this just for the financial benefits, although there are some. What is your personal mission um, for your content and effort within yeah. the industry? I mean, really, it's a couple of things. One, personally, I just love manufacturing. I love making things. I love building things. I mean, you know, up on my wall, right, is a bunch of Lego that just was a passion for me as a kid. Um, you know, 3D printing stuff. I, I love manufacturing. It's just such a cool topic. Um, Mike Rowe from, from Dirty Jobs and how it's made and all that stuff were just big passions of mine as a kid. Um so, I mean, just in general, I mean, the, the the ability to see new technologies in a way that I want to, if I didn't have this position, I think is really exciting, where you get to see a lot of cool stuff before it comes to market. Um, but as well as I'm really excited about just the workforce development. I want to see um, younger generations become part of this industry where right now there's going to be a 2.8 million um, person, uh, labor shortage in the next five to six years. And if I can, you know, even make a small sliver of change in that, or, you know, inspire 50 other people to have conversations who make a greater impact than myself. then that's all that matters to me. Um, I would love to get more women and minorities involved with manufacturing. I'm a, I'm a girl dad. So I have all, I, all I have is girls at home. And, you know, I think that's just the biggest thing as I talk to a lot of women who are part of the manufacturing mafia right now is understanding their struggles in the industry and how they're viewed and still how they're talked upon and breaking those stereotypes that women can be fantastic. They can be engineers. They can be business leaders. They can be directors. They can be VPs and still have that impact in manufacturing and automation. Um, but if we don't directly advocate for what manufacturing can be as an industry, besides just being this dark, dirty, dull, dangerous environment that's not, you know, um, engaging, then we're never going to have those numbers. We're never going to have that impact that we want. Awesome. Yeah. I like that. It's more of a mission driven, uh, cause. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, let's, let's touch on man bear's question. So he said, being in Michigan, um, what do you see as the biggest challenge in convincing automotive OEMs or tier one, two or three suppliers to adopt industry 4.0? Um, so let me, let me, let me hit that with a, with a counter. If you need to go into a tier one, tier two, or tier three automotive company and convince them they need industry 4.0, you're wasting your time, mm. you know, <laughs> and, and a lot of areas because you can, you can show them all the solutions that are out there, but let's understand something. Industry 4.0 isn't a product. 
It isn't something that you can buy, sell, and install on the floor and it works. Industry <laughs> 4.0 and digital transformation is a cultural adaption of how you're running your business. So <laughs> going in there is you can't convince someone to do something by selling them a product. We can go in and we can install, and we do that. We, we install million-dollar projects for digital transformation at end users. But if culturally they're not willing to take that data that they're pulling in and act on it or make changes on how they're running their manufacturing processes, then it's completely worthless. So can you convince companies? No, I, I would say no. I mean, for, for some areas, there's always those people on the fence. But if you're going into a place, you need to understand that there's a coach that you need to have advocating for you before you can even generate that conversation. And if there's not a coach within the organization that you want to work with, you're not, nothing's going to happen. Um, so the, the other adaption is, I mean, for me, where we find most success is industry case studies, having them understand what other companies have created and the value that they've returned from it. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's my summary. I don't I don't honestly have a um, a direct answer because it's a different case for every single end user. It's a different case for every single manufacturer, and I could go into details on a line by line basis. But it's going to be completely different for the next company that you talk with. Right. So, so yeah, that's I freaking love that answer because we we say all the time. Um, digital transformation not everyone can be helped invest your energy on the businesses you can help start by finding people who admit they have a problem like you said you can't go in there if you go in there and you try to start selling them then you've already you're you're fighting a losing battle right yeah. i mean i've gone into places where like they come in we want to do this 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 and then we have you know discovery meetings discovery calls we understand their processes we have checklists to say hey where are you at with all this and this isn't a checklist of like can we do it not a good, but we understand culturally where they are really quickly. Um, and if they're just not there for me in business development, I'm not going to spend 40 to 50 hours of development time to create this proposal, to create this digital transformation strategy or automation roadmap or whatever you want to call it, you know, to find out that this culturally, the person who can actually say yes, says no, you know, cause like one of the questions I ask right away is, uh, if I if I sent you this proposal, would you be able to sign off of it and, and we can move forward? Well, no, I can't. Okay, great. Who is that person? And if I can't talk to that person to understand what's going on, then it's it's not worth my time. Right. Yeah, people have a hard time with that because uh, I think the, the way that we're selling these solutions is changing versus, um, you know, just call, calling your local manufacturing shops and and telling them about these new features and benefits versus, um, you know, this is more of an outcome driven, um, transformation, right? It's, it's, it's more like manufacturing therapy than it is like, let's install this new line or something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> manufacturing therapy. That's a good one. All right. I like industry 4.0 is not a product, but rather is adoption and cultural change. There yeah. you go. All um, yours, bud. <laughs> all right. So, um, Let's talk about uh, the workforce engagement. It's something we touched on in the um, in that LinkedIn audio event. Um, but in your opinion, what is what is the problem right now with manufacturers being able to having a hard time staffing their their uh, their plant floors? 
there's a couple things, right? Um, let's, let's break it down into, into two categories. Employee, employee attraction and employee retention. Let's talk about the employees that are already working at those manufacturers. If companies aren't willing to adapt and create new technology that betters that worker's life, either or, or including at work and while they're at home, they're not in creating value for their, for their uh, worker. The one thing that separates Gen X's and boomers from millennials and Gen Z's is younger generations want to create a culture of change and impact. Where for so long, the older generation said, I'm working an eight to five job. I come home and I don't have to worry about that. But for us in younger generations as millennials, we want to say, what are we doing for change? What are we doing as a do-good scenario for our company? And if you as a company are not communicating that or you as a company, as a manufacturer, are not adapting new solutions as part of a, an area that makes their work life more like their home life, then you're not being successful, right? Why are we as a company understanding that millennials and Gen Zs communicate on digital touchscreen devices to get all the information, to get access to all that stuff? Yet when they go to work, they're still using paper-based work instructions, paper-based setup stuff, paper-based job filing. You know, it's 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 asinine from a manufacturer to use all these old processes when that's just not the way the current people work. Like that's level one. Then you can go beyond that and say, listen, just by adapting digital work-based instructions, you have revision control, you have product control. You know, there's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of opportunity for a manufacturer that creates value just beyond adapting a technology that more people are comfortable with. That's 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 the employee retention side. How are you making lives operators' lives easier? Like that's where I like to bust the myth of automation isn't designed to replace workers. Automation is should be designed to make workers' lives better. Like that's yeah. that's my employee retention. Okay. Um, nice. Let's talk about employee retraction. I, the the myth around manufacturing as being a dark, dirty, dangerous, dull environment has been around for 30 or 40 years. In my opinion, as a failed view on part of the manufacturers themselves, taking for granted this workforce that will always be in existence where they can just grind people through. And if that person quits, there's 20 other that they can hire. That scenario existed. And it's a failure on the manufacturer's part for us doing that. And we need to understand, we need to take fault for that. But the other part as well is our educational system for a long time said, manufacturing isn't a career opportunity for you. You need to go to college and get a four-year degree of something to be successful. And that goes with with, with anything. I mean, even the idea of doing skilled trades or a two-year apprenticeship program was viewed downly by our K through 12 educational system. So yeah, yeah. So you know, you're talking about like the skills trade, you know? Any, I mean, skilled trades in general. And here's the thing: skilled trades for like a long welding, time. welding, or yeah, an operations technician, or yeah. And, and and skilled trades was always viewed as, you know, the the hard worker mentality of stuff. 
um, you know, a plumber, a welder, an electrician, a masonry, all those type of things. But in my opinion, skilled trades has evolved beyond that. Now you can get a mechatronics degree. You can get a, uh, a skilled trades and CNC programming. You can get, in my opinion, robotic programmers are their own version of skilled trades. I don't care. I mean, I can argue to the point of what technically is versus technically is not. But if you go to a local college and you get you get a robotic certified degree from wherever, from FANUC or whatever partnership that they have, and now they can go out there and they can do all these different courses and they can say, hey, I'm FANUC certified and I know how to do robotic welding. I know how to do vision systems communication. I know how to do all these other stuff. I know how to address safety and all that. And I, and, you know, avoiding all the technical stuff, that is a skill. Right. That Not valuable skill. A highly valuable skill. I mean, <laughs> right now, I mean, heck, I'm, we're hiring as many robotic people as we can right now, as long as same with every single machine builder in Michigan right now. Um, so the idea is busting the myth that a higher education four-year degree is your only opportunity. I'm not saying that people should not go to get a four-year degree. I think they should. If you have the capability to become an engineer and you have that mindset, and that that you know the aptitude, then go for it. Go get your engineering to go engineering degree. I went to school and I got a product design and manufacturing engineering. Got I got a biomedical engineering degree. I mean, so I enjoyed that stuff. But the one thing that was never presented to me was skilled trades as an opportunity. And and I think that's the one thing that as we as culturally and manufacturing need to change is we need to do a better job addressing and working with local educational systems at a high school level, at a college level, and as a, a local community level to invest in local communities to create the curriculum and the skills so when they graduate, they are highly valued to manufacturers. Excellent. Yeah, I think people are getting uh, sick of that, uh, you know, you must go to college in order to be worth anything mindset. I think I do see that going away, especially as the price of college just continues to skyrocket and the values. Sort the, of average, diminishing. the average student going to college for a four-year degree graduates with $36,000 in student debt. The average for a four-year degree. A lot of people are doing it. I feel, that seems low. <laughs> yeah. but, well, um, it, ju it jumps up to a master's. I mean, so mm. the, the average student debt is actually much higher than that because that also includes doctorates and master's and all these other stuff. But if you were just to go to college for a four-year degree and nothing more, your average student debt graduating is $36,000. I, I went to two, I did two years of Cal, at Cal Poly Pomona uh, in the aerospace program. And then I dropped out to do system integration full time, um, you know, and at that time, I uh, shortly after I, I met Walker working on a project, a large oil and gas SCADA project. So it was more so, um, you know, I did have a, an early exposure to the industry because my parents did, uh, did have that um, business. But I think, you know, Gen Z's or people even you know, in, in high school and in early college right now have an opportunity to like get involved in a community like ours. I, I started making six figures as a system integrator without an engineering degree. And I did yeah. that through just providing value and, and learning, um, you know, basically what our mentorship program is today. That's the training I put myself through, uh, you know, eight years ago when I was going through it through Code Academy, learning Python, learning inductive university, which had just came, come out. Uh, you know, these are the things, these are the steps that we have our students go through to, to develop a really valuable skill set so they can be an industry 4.0 professional, so they can work on these projects 
and yeah. provide a lot of value to manufacturers, to other system integrators. So that's like what we're trying to do is, is develop the people that need to, we need for this transformation. And then like, um, you know, quick plug for our mastermind program. That's like our highest level training where we're developing solutions architects, right? We're developing not just the skills to work on the projects as an engineer or as a, as a developer, but the actual leadership architecture, you know, full stack from like from the plant floor all the way up to, you know, through the different business systems, SCADA, MES, the ERP business systems, how to connect to different ERPs, uh, all the way up to the cloud level. That's what our mastermind program is uh, really designed for. Uh, and we have some great feedback from that, both from people that are like running their own system integration business mm -hmm. and from like um, directors of digital transformation at a, at a manufacturer. Hey, join our training. We'll, we'll show you the steps to either become an industry 4.0 professional in our mentorship program or become a, you know, a solutions architect, a, a leader for these type of initiatives in our mastermind program. So how to put that quick plug in there. We are kicking off our 12 week accelerator program next, next week, actually, uh, where, you know, we've been doing this program for over a year now. We have 112 students in our mastermind and some of them have just joined recently. Some of them have been in from the beginning. And the way it works is every month we develop a new training. We bring in experts. We, we continue nice. to build out this training library. So we have about 12 different modules, 12 different months of training that someone who joins today will, you know, sort of have to go through on their own. So we wanted to develop a 12 week accelerator program. So that way anyone joining, you know, um, or even if they join from the beginning, they're encouraged to go through this 12 week track where each week we're going to go through one of those modules and then get together to discuss what was learned and, you know, sort of create that collaborative group mindset. So yeah, that's great. Uh, that's, that's our sponsor for today. There's links down below, uh, to either join and sign up, or if you want to book a call with our team, we can, you know, help, help you walk through to decide what's the right program for you and you'll be supporting our channel and you know it's an investment in your future so that's really something that we're proud of jeff rankin uh one of our master recently joined mastermind penn college two and four-year automation graduates are in high demand we are our hands-on technical college uh penn state our problem mm -hmm. is meeting the demand we need to we need to a better job of marketing our programs and that's why we wanted to bring jake on you know talk about how you can actually market um you know why manufacturing is is an attractive job right uh this brings up to the point where we were talking about before we went live which is you know you had a new manufacturer that joined in town and you, you had a you know a, an exodus of uh you know many other manufacturers losing yeah. workers to this new manufacturer why don't you share what happened there yeah i mean i think it's a, a common thing that a lot of people um are, are facing right at least a lot of companies are when a a very large distribution center uh, called Amazon moves into the local area. Um, a lot of manufacturers have a hard time battling for labor. And I think this is just one of those things is manufacturers need to create higher skilled, higher valued jobs within manufacturing that are going to um, keep and retain a lot of the workers there. And I think one of those things that we understand is, is manufacturing ever going to have the same um, volume of people working in the industry five, 10 years from now. No, it won't. Um, but that's as, as jobs become more automated and as more opportunities move up in careers outside of the manufacturing industry, um, we need to create higher skilled, higher uh, valued workers that will want to stick around in the space that we can pay and, and represent. Because if we can, if we can pay an operator 
who's running four robotic cells, $110,000 a year to maintain versus four operators making $35,000, $40,000. And those operators found a better job at Amazon or some other place. We still need to keep up with that production. But then we need to then create an opportunity for those workers who are staying around to have better careers and opportunities. Awesome. So, um, so why, why ultimately, I mean, aside from the uh, retention strategies uh, what, uh, that Amazon has, like what, ultimately, why did the people leave for Amazon? Uh, I mean, they got paid more. I mean, I think that's the, I think that's what it comes down to a lot of areas. I mean, we had a controls engineer who left where, where my day job's at. He's getting paid $250,000 a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. At, at Amazon? Yeah. To Amazon, $20,000 signing bonus, like 20 pieces of stock. I mean, his whole package was almost a quarter of a million dollars. I mean, wow. so like, how do you compete with that in the manufacturing space? You can't. So it goes back to this idea of, I think, as new generations become a part of this industry, they want to create an impact. And I don't, I think arguably some people view that they're not creating as big of an impact at Amazon as they could at other manufacturers who are doing really cool things. So I think that's why. Well, Amazon's already gone through the transformation. So I think going to a manufacturer that is starting at the beginning phase of this transformation and growing with them, um, like you said, you could go from being an operator that's making $40,000 a year to being a lead, you know, operations analyst making a hundred plus thousand dollars a year real quickly through this type of transformation because you can add that additional value. I would argue that you can, you, you manufacturers can't doing things the old way. Yeah, but they can doing things that um, doing things in a new way, even even going as far as like adopting new business models, right? Manufacturing as a service, doing, uh, you know, more of an ecosystem type of revenue model, like like what we talked about last week with Luke Small, right? There's not just, um, you know, businesses aren't becoming it's like less transactional, more relationship and ecosystem based. So there's enormous opportunity for increasing margins, increasing profit and increasing uh, wages for our workers. Because at the end of the day, what is a company except for its ability to make an impact on our world and ultimately provide you know, meaningful and uh, stable jobs for its workers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's pull up that, uh, that post from the other day. Um, big manufacturer in the space. Uh, oh, I just stopped sharing. Um, just because I found it really interesting. So uh what's what's happening here in this post yeah so i mean this is just uh, a post that i got sent to uh in the mail directly to me where there is a company here in west michigan hiring at you know 18 dollars an hour up to 21 plus a a dollar premium for working second shift which is crazy that you want to get paid you know 40 dollars more a week to work you know from 9 p.m to 3 a.m or whatever versus you know working a typical eight to five um but yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things, right? I, I'd be curious to this know. Backfired? Do you think this backfired? No, I bet you they got some opportunity there. Okay. Because I, you, I, I look they- at it and I think, you know, $21 an hour, I'd rather go do uh, DoorDash and make 20 to $25 an hour. Because at least at that point, I can, I can be in charge of my own schedule. You mentioned yeah. earlier that Amazon is sort of doing that uh, yeah. gig, yeah. gig economy Flexible type hours. of where you can just on your app just say, Hey, I want to work. I want to pick up an extra shift. I want to work today from this hour to that hour. So versus like, Oh, you know, I got to go in from eight to six every day or, or whatever. Um, 
a thousand dollar signing bonus. <laughs> it's, it's kind yeah. of pitiful. <laughs> so, but you're yeah. saying that that was not a bad $21 an hour is not terrible it, for it, that it's, area. It's not great, but I think for some people, they're going to look at it. Here's where, here's where I think they dropped the ball on this call or walk in to this area. They should have had a barcode mm. that they scanned on this postcard that brought them right to a registration thing. God, yeah. Our generation does not like to call. We <laughs> okay. That's yeah, no, that's is. a really good point. We're, we're on Discord. We're on Slack. We're on email. We're on texting groups. No one wants to call. They want to text. So they missed the ball in a big area for showing that they're thinking forward when it comes to that. I can go to drive through Taco Bell or Chick-fil-A, and then on the registration window it says, looking for a job, or even through the drive-thru, they have a 14-inch printed 2D barcode that you can scan and, you know, create, you know, re register for a job. And so it's just one of those things is it's interesting that they sent out this mailer because personally, I've never seen that mailer before. I've always seen it on billboards posted or, you know, the metal, you know, stake signs in the ground. But sending out an, a message, one, just shows how desperate a manufacturer is where they're doing a mailing campaign of trying to reach everyone. Um, yeah. So is this, a, is this a gift for the audience, this picture? A gift? Yeah, it's a gift. GIF or GIF or however you say. GIF, yeah. Yeah, it's not GIF peanut butter. It's a GIF. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, that's, you know, that's that's a GIF that I made for for people to look at. But And is this your um, own manufacturing millennial branded yeah. Lego? Yeah, so I have a, a manufacturing millennial branded one, you know, for me. And then there is... Um, where, can we, where can we pick that up? Is you sponsored by Lego? <laughs> I, w I wish. Uh, come and visit me. I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, sooner or sooner or later. I, I have talked to people at Lego before and some stuff, but this is just my own custom minifigure that I made. Um, then right. I have Aaron Prather from FedEx. Um, okay. Chris, Chris Lukey from Manufacturing Happy Hour. How'd you and make then, those? Say again. How'd you make those? Here, wait. I mean, let me make it bigger so then people could see. Oh yeah. So so here's here's me. Um, that's uh that's my minifigure with a podcast mic. Yeah, with a with a podcast mic, and then here's Aaron Prather from FedEx. Okay. Um, and then Chris Lukey from Manufacturing Happy Hour. He needs a beer. Um, and then there's this <laughs> other one I can't share yet because the reveal's happening tomorrow. But okay. uh, we're adding another minifigure to um the uh, the space so people can pick it up by coming and see me at trade shows. Um, so I'm gonna be at like 14 different trade shows this year. Um, the first one I'm going to be at is the A3 Business Forum in Orlando next week. Um, and then there's, yeah, a bunch of different stuff. I'm going to Pack Expo East. Um, let's see, Modex, IME West, Manufacturing Southeast, the Robotics Summit and Expo in Boston, Automate 2022, which is the really big show that I'm going to be at this year in Detroit. Um, yeah, so there's like 20, like, there's going to be like 10 or, 10 or 12 different shows I'm going to be a part of where, you know, stop me and I might, I might have a, a minifigure to hand you. Awesome. That's pretty sick. All right. So I want to uh, open this up uh, to the audience. If you guys have any questions for Jake, let us know now. We're going to be taking some questions. Or Jake, if you have any questions for us or for the audience, um, let's go ahead and ask them. Um, you know, I, I saw, you know, on that post, you said, uh, what is what is the uh, 
you know, what is the average hourly wage for manufacturing where you are located? I, I, I saw some pretty interesting answers. Uh, you know, some, someone said 21 is 21 is behind other companies. 22, yeah. um, Hershey Corp production in the 22 two range. Um, but controls are 40 with a 10 grand sign. Yeah. Controls technicians. Yeah. Controls. Yeah. I know, I know plenty of places where, um, like uh, Bentler Automotive in Grand Rapids at one point in time had a $10,000 signing bonus. So Cheryl you know? McCrary said, uh, so trade shows aren't dead yet? No. And I, I don't think trade shows will ever die. I think there's going to be adaption between virtual content and in-person trade shows. Um, I'm a big proponent of, of in-person trade shows because of the networking that is done at those. I think right now manufacturers do a horrible job communicating what their new technology is virtually. And um, I think there will always be a value for trade shows and conferences, even if trade shows more move more towards thought leadership than just, you know, going around and collecting as many pens and, you know, squish balls as possible from booths. Uh, but no, trade shows aren't dead. I'm going to be at a bunch of them this year, and I still think it's going to be a, a big value for, for our industry for, for many, many years to come. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun going to those like in uh, 2018, 2019, before the pandemic. I went to a bunch of them. One of the most fun ones I went to was uh, in South Africa, and that was a pretty awesome uh, um, conference. Those guys now are actually at, um, they're at uh, Element 8. They're an ignition distributor. Uh, so shout out to them. Um, oh, nice. The guys at Element 8, ignition distributor in uh, South Africa. So, um, um, yeah, beautiful. We went, it was like a beautiful trip. I was really jet lagged though, but it was, it was pretty awesome to be able to be at that conference. Uh, Alan said, uh, Jake, have you seen any effects of, from the great resignation that is affecting the numerous industries on the manufacturing sector? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're seeing that right now. I mean, the great resignations, the fact that you have a lot of people retiring and that's where we're going to get into this idea of there's 2.8 million jobs that are going to be unfulfilled in the manufacturing industry by 2028. And we need to, we're going to, we're going to solve that and address that by doing two things. One is adapting new technology and automation into our manufacturing processes that are going to allow us to be more efficient and more competitive in a global economy. Um, and then the other one is uh, attracting the future workforce, millennials and Gen Z's. You know, the interesting thing is, is um, I have another meeting at two o'clock. I got to hop to hop off to it in a few minutes. Um, but there was just a, an article rolled out where China's adoption plan for five years is to be the leader in all robotics technology and integration in the world in five years. And it's just like, it shows like just how much of a, uh, an opportunity that I think a lot of, a lot of countries missed when we looked at that, where we viewed manufacturing as an opportunity to send product to China to be manufactured at a low cost. And, um, yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's it's a crazy time right now that we're seeing more automation, more installed robots in what we viewed as cheap labor countries than anywhere else in the world. In fact, there was more robots integrated in China last year than the United States, Germany, Japan, South Korea, and one other country combined. China integrated more robots. Um, Matt, your question for what is the source for the 2.8 million uh, employee labor shortage is the Department of Labor. So, awesome. uh, 
right right from the U.S. government. Uh, and I can see if I can find that article, but it's right from the United States Department of Labor, uh, Bureau of Bureau of Labor, U.S. Department Bureau of right. Labor. Um, whatever it is, it came right out there talking about it because the the issue that we're facing right now is we're we're with manufacturing at a decline the way it is. They view it as a point of national security. If we're not making product here in America, and we're being supported by all of our daily lives components coming out coming outsourced, what risk are we at? Let's look at the masks, for example, going all the way back to COVID. People didn't realize that like. 97% of PPE was manufactured in China. Like, you know, so what happens if we were to have another pandemic or something like that? Now, granted, things are changing. We're, the, the pandemic in a lot of areas re, you know, awakened people's minds on, you know, how bad it was. But, um, yeah. you know. Last last question before, uh, before you got to jump. Yeah. I'm curious, what specific jobs, major jobs, engineering jobs, must be was there another question etc oh that that was it that oh what, what yeah jobs? what 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 jobs Every, are in the shortage the manufacturing industry as a whole the manufacturing industry as a whole is gonna be a 2.8 million person labor shortage and it's it, i i don't know expect specifically what type of jobs but i would say all of them right. <laughs> you know it's a as a as a pretty uh as a pretty um confident answer all of them I mean, we need workers right now. We need welders. We need robot programmers. We need CNC people. We need management. We need people who can understand uh, a vision within a manufacturing company and roll it out. Everyone. And we're going to solve that the two ways. One, manufacturers adapting new technology to be more efficient and more competitive. And two, attracting and retaining the employee of the future by really creating mission that's aligned with having an impact, which is what the millennials and Gen Zs want and making their work life more like their home life, being able to solve their own problems, empowering them, engaging them. Um, and that's, that's, that's our mission at 4.0 Solutions, to help manufacturers save and create middle-class jobs by helping them be more competitive, by doing more with less, leveraging technology, um, and educating people how to help manufacturers do more with mm -hmm. less. So thanks so much, Jake. Uh, it's yeah, really an honor pleasure. and a pleasure to have you on. Um, yeah, this is a great episode. Uh, we're going to share this out on our podcast. Uh, obviously this is on YouTube and LinkedIn. We will share this, uh, out on audio out on our podcast, the 4.0 solutions podcast, which you can listen to, um, in your car or wherever at your leisure, uh, that's available on iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, go ahead and leave us a review. Um, if you guys like this episode, uh, on iTunes, that really does help. We're trying to really push our podcast out to more people this year, uh, to really help us on our mission. So, um, and thanks again. Uh, links below for our, our programs online. Uh, next week, we're kicking off the, uh, the Mastermind Accelerator track. So it's a good time to get in if you've been thinking about it. Um, make that investment in your future. And uh, everyone, reach out to Jake. You can connect with him at the link below in the, in the, in the comments or uh, in the dis description box below. Uh, yeah, and show him, some, show him some love. Subscribe to his channel. Um, I'll, I'll link your YouTube channel on the screen now too. So oh, perfect. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. See ya. Bye. Bye, everyone.